Hey everyone, welcome back to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Courtney. And I'm Patrick. Welcome back. Yay! And I have a voice. Yeah, you have a voice this week. It's fantastic. <laughs> I didn't even listen to the last episode because I didn't want to hear myself. There's a review that the audio was shit, so I don't know. There was? Yeah. Oh, whoops. That's my fault. I got sick. <laughs> no, that's my fault because that was our first one back and I didn't check anything. I just left all the levels the same. Did they really say the audio was? Hard to listen to. Oh, well, sorry. It sorry. happens. This one will be better. You'll live, you learn, right? <laughs> Oops. A year in and we're still we're still making mistakes and we're going to make more. Yeah, we also took a break for a while and things may have gotten we're messed up. We're a little rusty. Bumped. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm really excited about this case today. Well, not excited, but I'm anxious to share it with you. Okay. You want to just go ahead and get started? Yeah, or do you have any, have any news? It might be a little shorter episode. This no, one. I don't have any news. So. Okay. Well, here we go. Yeah. On Friday, February 20th, 2015 at 4 p.m., a 999 call was made reporting 16-year-old Becky Watts missing. 999, Patrick, is the UK's version of 911 for right. all of our US listeners. For our non-UK people. Yeah. Becky had last been seen the previous morning by her family. She had last left her home in Crown Hill, Bristol, with her phone, her tablet, and her laptop. She had not told anyone where she was going or what she would be doing. She did not bring with her a change of clothes. And what's worse, she wasn't responding to anyone's texts or calls. Despite being 16, this was completely out of character for Becky. She had never been one to stay out too late, and she always, always answered her parents' calls and texts. The day before, Becky had spoken with her girlfriend, who claimed that there was absolutely nothing about Becky's demeanor that served as a red flag that she was upset and trouble or considering running away at all. After the 999 call, Darren, Becky's father, made a gut-wrenching plea on Facebook to family and friends. It read, quote, If anyone has seen or heard from my daughter, just let me know she is safe. She went missing Thursday the 19th at 11.15 a.m. to meet her boyfriend and never arrived, so he came here looking for her. She hasn't been seen since by any of her friends. Police have now started a search. I'm really scared right now. I want her home, end quote. As the search for Becky began, her family and the Bristol police felt that something must be horribly wrong for Becky to have vanished without a trace. And unfortunately, they were correct. Something was horribly wrong. Not even in their worst nightmare could they even imagine what had happened to their bubbly, beautiful 16-year-old daughter. This is the depraved and shocking case of the murder of Becky Watts. Rebecca Watts, or Becky, as she was known to many, although her family called her Bex, was born on June 3, 1998, to parents Darren and Tanya. She was a second child. She had one older brother, Danny, who I believe was about three years older than her. Unfortunately, by the time Becky came along, Darren and Tanya had separated. Although Tanya had primary custody of the kids, Becky and her brother continued to see their father and his new partner, Angie, on the weekends. At that time, Angie was a single mother of a 13-year-old boy named Nathan, and because Nathan didn't have anything to do with his biological father, Angie had full custody. Okay. 
Unfortunately, Angie had to move, and in order to keep Nathan in the school he was attending, Nathan would spend a lot of his time living with his grandmother, but he still kept a very close relationship with his mother, seeing her every single day and spending all the weekends with her and his his new stepfather, Darren, and now his new younger step-siblings, Becky and Daniel. So they were a big, happy family. They were a big, loving family of five on the weekends, but Angie and Darren would notice over the next couple of years some behavioral changes and red flags in baby Becky and um, her brother's behavior. Okay. They also noticed that the children didn't seem to have the adequate clothing and necessities they needed when he would pick them up from their moms. According to his book, Darren's book, that I heavily used for research on this episode, uh, it's called The Evil Within by Darren Galsworthy. Darren attempted to speak to his ex-wife, but they, like so many divorced couples, didn't exactly get along. Right. There was just no talking to yeah. each other that early on, you know? And when you try to have a conversation about it, it's just like, you, you ain't getting there because it just becomes, just against, not getting there. It becomes against each other rather than like, hey, the right. kid needs this. So out of concern for his children, Darren decided to call Children's Services and asked that they visit his ex-wife Tanya's home to make sure that she was, in fact, properly caring for her children. Okay. The findings of that visit are unclear, but what is known um, is that for a short time, Becky and Darren, Darren and her brother were placed in care with a foster family before Darren and Angie were eventually granted full custody of them in January 2002. Okay. Becky was still very small at this time, I believe three. So her and Angie immediately had a true mother-daughter relationship. Right. They were very, that was her mom, you know. Once again, the family of five were thriving together in a loving home, and it would remain that way for the next 13 years. So now let's get to know Becky Watts before we get into her disappearance. As a toddler, Becky was said to have been slow to speak, but once she started, she never stopped. Uh-oh. Her first word ever was when she was about three, shortly after her father and stepmother were awarded custody. The family drove to pick up Nathan from his grandmother's house for the weekend, And as little Becky looked out the car window, she spotted her stepbrother walking to the car and she loudly exclaimed, Nathan, to everyone's surprise. She was a happy and affectionate kid. She loved animals and enjoyed many a day out with her family at the Bristol Zoo and various wildlife parks. And she loved to spoil her pet cat named Marley. But inevitably, children grow up and the teenage years can be Trying, to say the least. We can attest to that. Trying is a good word for it. Becky did have a rough time. By the time she started secondary school, or that's uh, the UK's version of high school, she had become rather shy and introverted. She had a handful of very close friends, and her father stated that she was fiercely loyal to them. However, introducing herself to new people, it just wasn't her forte. She didn't like it. You got your own little group, and you don't like anybody else. You You don't like other people. That's fine. One night, Becky was in tears, and she confided in her parents, Darren and Angie, that she was being horrifically bullied at school. Darren would later say, quote, they were picking on her looks, her weight, everything. One day at school, Becky proudly wore her brand new jacket that her parents bought for her, and her bullies cruelly ripped it off of her, tearing it. We always say, kids can be dicks. Kids are assholes, It's true. They really can be. Despite her parents' pleas with the school to intervene, the bullying continued and eventually led to Becky's suffering from um, disordered eating. Okay. 
which is heartbreaking. And so many young girls share this exact same story. This period of time was difficult on the family and Becky, with, but with the love and support, their love and support, Becky was able to overcome her eating disorder, which is absolutely amazing. That's good. They even had Becky attend an outpatient program to help her recover, not only with their support, but also medical professionals. Right, right. In time, Becky, now a more well-balanced and happy teenager, she began dabbling in the dating world here and there, much to the dismay of her father. Of course. By the time she was 16, she had a boyfriend named Luke, and he was a good guy. Is a good guy, I'm sure. Even though Becky's physical health had improved, she did suffer from social anxiety still. In his book, her father wrote, quote, she was too shy to get on a bus or go shopping by herself. But once her anorexia was firmly under control, her confidence started to slowly grow, end quote. So she was coming into her own at the time of her disappearance. And speaking of physical health, someone else in the household began to suffer from another illness. Angie, Becky's stepmom, unfortunately was diagnosed with MS and she began to weaken over time. Yeesh. According to her father, Becky was a huge help to her stepmom, especially when Angie became too weak to stand for long periods of time. Soon, Becky started to consider the bright future ahead of her. Her strongest subjects were English and art. She was an excellent artist. For a time, she was determined to become a veterinarian because of her love of animals. However, as time went on, she decided that she would like to put her artistic side to good use and become an interior designer one day. Okay. She began watching hours of, upon hours of house design and remodel TV programs. Yep. And her family fully supported her dreams. Her father states in his book that I told her that I was happy to work every hour under the sun so that she could go to university and achieve her dream. From a young age, Angie and I always had told the kids that with hard work and determination, they could be anything they wanted to be. He just seems like a great dad. Seems like he's like a good guy, yeah. In fact, she was so talented with design. When Becky's dad and stepmom decided to get married, it was Becky who designed and planned out the whole ceremony. Okay. Becky was a bridesmaid, and in um, the most popular photo of her, you can see her um, wearing the bridesmaid light blue uh, bridesmaid dress that she picked out. She's very talented. I wish this story ended here because. This family just seems as solid as they come, in my opinion. But it doesn't because we're on evil pudding. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, Becky Watts is missing, as we know, and no one seems to have any inkling of what happened to the beautiful 16-year-old girl. I want to give Darren's account, Becky's father, of exactly what happened around the time Becky went missing because who can tell it better, right? Right. The last time Darren had seen his daughter was after work on the night of Tuesday, February 17th, 2015. Before he turned in for the night, he had made her a pizza and she was happily in her room watching the TV show Jackass when he delivered her food to her. Of course. The following evening, Darren returned home from work. Angie told Becky told him that Becky was sleeping over at a friend's house, which was very common for her. Right. Thursday, February 19th, Angie said that Becky returned home from her friends around 8:30 a.m. Angie's mother then came around and picked her up, Angie, for a doctor's appointment at 11 a.m. And when Angie returned home at 1245, she noted that her son and his girlfriend and their new baby were at the home, which is very typical. They usually came by to hang out with the family most days. Okay. 
Becky was not home, which again was not strange. It was a school holiday. So Becky spent most of her days either at a friend's house or had friends over to her house. Shauna, Nathan's girlfriend, who was there, told Angie that she had heard Becky come stomping down the stairs and then leave out the front door without saying anything. Again, not uncommon. She's 16. Right. She's a teenager. A few hours go by and Becky's boyfriend, Luke, comes by. He was a little confused because he was supposed to meet up with Becky earlier, but she hadn't shown up and wasn't replying to any of his texts. Becky didn't return home that evening, and Angie and Darren assumed that she was staying at a friend's house again, as she had done the night before. But the following day, Angie called Darren at work and was like, okay, look, none of Becky's friends have seen her. I'm starting to get worried. Right. No one knows where she is. Something's up. This is not good. Yeah. That's when the panic started to set in. Darren rushed home, and all of Becky's friends were there with Angie. Like, we don't know where she is. We're worried about her. One of Becky's friends, um, a girl named Courtney, went into Becky's room with Darren to see if anything was missing. Courtney noticed that all of Becky's makeup and handbags were accounted for, and Becky never, ever left the house without a handbag and literally all of her makeup. Like, looking good was very important to her. She's a beautiful girl. 16-year-old girl. I mean, you need that, you need that makeup. Yep. Becky had also been seen, uh, last seen in a onesie. And that onesie was missing as well as a green sweater that Becky had borrowed from her stepmom at one time. Those were the only clothes that were gone. Okay. Becky's phone and laptop were also missing, which is really odd because Becky had never once taken that laptop out of the house. It was like her home computer, you know? Just nothing was making sense. And although Becky had her phone with her, apparently all of her family's phone calls were going on unanswered. That's when Nathan helped Darren make a frantic Facebook post pleading for her friends and family to let him know if they had seen his daughter. After making the Facebook post, Darren called the police and the search for Becky began. That following Saturday, police came to the house and asked Darren and Angie if it would be okay if they searched Becky's room and collected some of her personal items to get a sample of her DNA. Right. Very standard. Of course, Darren and Angie agreed. I can imagine that that's just hard to hear for parents. Oh, yeah. We it's need gotta be your awful. daughter's DNA, you know, but it's, why? it's necessary, like, right? Why do you need it? Yeah. Very necessary. By now, news of Becky's disappearance had traveled across Bristol, and police had made a public appeal to help locate Becky. They also said that there would be an organized search in the next few days, a search that many members, if not all the members of the community, would attend. After some time passed, Becky's family was still living in an unimaginable limbo. They just had no answers. Two police liaison came around to visit Darren and Angie and said, look, guys, we need to take a different angle here. We'd like to bring in a forensic team into your home to do a more thorough search. That means we're going to need to put you both up in a hotel room, if that's okay, because we need access to everything. We need you out of here. We can't. We need to dig through everything. And at this point, Darren and Angie were willing to comply, of course, but they were so aggravated that police were wasting their time in the house because they really felt that their search for Becky was out there, not in the home, right. you know. But nonetheless, Angie and Darren stayed in a hotel for a while while the forensics team came in. And on Tuesday, March 3rd, that's the day that everything changed. Police came to Darren and Angie and informed them that the search for Becky was now a murder investigation. Oh. 
and the conversation just took a nosedive from there. Police said that they were also sorry to inform them that body parts, parts, were discovered at an address in nearby Barton Hill as they were positive that it was 16-year-old Becky. They had identified the DNA from the sample they had taken from some of Becky's possessions, and it was a match. And although we think, as a parent, how much worse can this get, it somehow does. I bet. Police then informed Darren and Angie that they have made an arrest. Two arrests, actually. Angie's son, Becky's stepbrother, Nathan Matthews, and his girlfriend, Shauna Hoare. Oh. Is her last name. Although Darren and Angie were doubtful at first... Soon they wouldn't be able to deny Nathan's involvement. Becky's blood had been detected by the forensics team on the doorframe of her bedroom, and Nathan's fingerprints were present as well. And when Nathan was arrested, he finally confessed eventually and told police where they could find his stepsister's body parts. At his friend's address on 9 Barton Court. And sure enough, that's where they would find Becky. Now, before I go into exactly what happened on the day that 29-year-old Nathan and his girlfriend Shauna took the life of Becky Watts, I'd like to take a quick look to kind of at um, Shauna and Nathan just to kind of get to know them and see where things possibly could have gone that wrong. Yeah, how did we get there? But yeah, that's a huge leap, right? right, between Nathan and Becky. So obviously, Nathan was quite a bit older than Becky. So they weren't close, per se, growing up. However, he tolerated her as his little sister for the most part. I think that's the dynamic of most age gap siblings, right? Right, of course. Nathan and his stepdad, Darren, seemed to have a close father-son relationship, at least up until Nathan got a bit older. Nathan didn't have any contact with his biological dad, so Darren seemed to really step into that father role for him when his mom started dating him. He was seemingly a normal kid, but red flags definitely started to raise. When Nathan was 19, he came home with a car full of very young girls. We're talking 12 years old at 19. Oh. When they pulled up, Darren saw this and was like, absolutely the hell not leave. What are you doing? You know? Right. Darren chalked this up to Nathan trying to find his way with the opposite sex and being awkward and immature. I mean, that's rough. But eventually, 21-year-old Nathan would meet 14, yes, 14-year-old Shauna Hoare. Of course, Angie and Darren did not support this relationship, but as soon as Shauna turned 16, they couldn't say much because that is, in fact, the age of consent in the UK. Right. Shauna and Nathan soon got their own place once Shauna became pregnant, but they still spent a lot of time over at Darren and Angie's house. They didn't want to cook, so they kind of mooched off his parents. The couple acted normal for the most part, but it was absolutely a mystery as to how depraved they both were. It was the last thought in anyone's mind that Nathan would ever seriously hurt anyone, much less his own sister. And remember, Nathan was Becky's first word. Yeah. So what were Nathan's thoughts on Becky? Well, I don't believe that Nathan gave it to investigators straight while he was being questioned, but he claimed, and this is awful, but he claimed that his sister was faking her eating disorder for attention. Not only that, but he outright told investigators long before Becky's body was found and he was a suspect. He said, you know, I just don't like Becky. I don't like her. 
I think she does a lot of stuff for attention. And he didn't like how Becky spoke to uh, his mom. And he said that Becky just left her things lying around for his mom to trip over. Oh, okay. <laughs> like that's a reason the killer. Yeah, right? yeah, awful. And believe it or not, folks, when Nathan finally confessed to the murder of his stepsister, he said that, yes, he killed her, but it was an accident. He only meant to fake a kidnapping to scare her and teach her a lesson, but things got out of hand. Oh, oops. We will get more into that later, but spoiler alert, that's really hard to believe knowing what he does to his sister's body after he murdered her. It's very hard to believe. Yeah. Just my opinion. As far as Shauna... Shauna rejected all of Becky's advances of being friends. Becky, at 16, tried really hard to befriend the then 19-year-old by offering her clothes to wear and asking Shauna to hang out. Shauna was clearly put off by Becky, and she would speak down to her. Darren noticed this often. I think she was jealous of Becky. Becky was beautiful. Okay. Absolutely gorgeous, and I think she was jealous. It was clear that Shauna held some disdain for Becky, Personally, I chalk all that up to jealousy. I believe that Nathan was disgustingly attracted to his sister because the police labeled this a sexually motivated murder. Okay. And I think that Shauna didn't like it. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Anyways, without wasting too much time on Shauna because I don't believe she deserves it. No, not at all. I think the best way to describe Shauna is unlikable. And you can watch interviews with her. Although she was only 19 at the time of her arrest, she quickly becomes an unlikable character to the police as well. One investigator would later say that Shauna was barely able to contain her smiles because she thought she had won. She felt that she had outsmarted everyone, including police. During her interrogation, she can be seen giggling and joking with the investigators all while Becky was missing before her body was discovered. And during the physical search for Becky... Thousands of people turned out to help, including all of Becky's friends and family. But you know who wasn't there? Shauna and Nathan. Yep, that's the red flag right there. Exactly. And apparently Nathan's obsession for young girls hadn't waned, only now Shauna seemed to be kind of egging on his perversion. Later on, police would testify that they had found texts from Shauna to Nathan that read, quote, just went to cost cutter and saw a very pretty petite girl. Almost knocked her out to bring her home, LOL, XOXO. Oh. To which Nathan replied, quote, don't you almost me, now fucking do it, bitch, end quote. Oh. But even after Nathan's confession, Shauna adamantly denied absolutely having any involvement or knowledge of the murder, despite the fact that her DNA would be recovered from a face mask found with Becky's body or parts of Becky's body. Also, we'll see. It would just be absolutely impossible for her not to know what was going on. Okay. There's just no way. With the discovery of both Nathan and Shauna's DNA, both were arrested on March 2nd, 2015 on suspicion of murder. Soon they would be indicted and charged. And it would be in a public courtroom that Darren and Angie would sit side by side and listen to the horrors that Nathan and his girlfriend had inflicted on 16-year-old Becky in what police would call, quote, a sexually driven murder. And that brings us to the day that 16-year-old Becky Watts was killed. On Thursday, February 19th, Nathan confessed to taking a large bag, a stun gun, handcuffs, and duct tape to attack Becky in an attempt to, as he put it, scare Scare her. her. 
He and Shauna were at the home alone with Becky on the day of her disappearance. And he waited until Angie had been picked up for her doctor's appointment before entering Becky's room. We will never know the full extent of what occurred in that room. However, according to Nathan's account, he entered Becky's bedroom wearing a mask and immediately attacked her. Eventually, in the struggle, he claimed his mask slipped and she saw his face, so he panicked and strangled her to death. I have a hard time believing she didn't know it was her brother, even with the mask on. Right. right. Of course she wouldn't know, just by his build and, like, what are you doing in here? You exactly. Know? Becky's official cause of death was determined to be strangulation, but she also had suffered a horrific beating, and she had been stabbed 15 times in the abdomen mm. post-mortem after death. He said he then placed Becky inside the large bag along with her phone, laptop, some bedding, and clothing, and placed his sister's body in the truck of his car, which was parked out front. After callously spending the rest of the evening with his stepsister's father, with his stepfather and mom, all with his sister in the trunk of his car, Nathan and Shauna returned to their home later that evening and ordered takeout, pizza, and Chinese food. He claims he waited until Shauna went to bed before bringing Becky into the house and placing her in the bathtub. Hmm. The next day, Friday the 20th, Nathan makes a trip to Tesco and purchases two bottles of drain cleaner before going to another store to purchase gloves, masks, goggles, and a circular saw. While he was out, Shauna sends him a text that reads, quote, what time you finish work, LOL. At some point, Nathan meticulously dismembers his stepsister's body in his bathtub with the circular saw. He wraps her body parts in bags, cling film, and duct tape, and places them in suitcases and rucksacks and transports all of them to a friend's back garden on Barton Hill, where she would later, unfortunately, be discovered. Yikes. Later on, on uh, CCTV footage caught Shauna and Nathan at a building supply store purchasing large black bags, rubber gloves, and three rolls of clean film. Mm. Becky's body had been dismembered at eight different locations using the circular saw. Experts later conclude that it would have been, at best, a two-person job. Yeah. Not a one-person job. Later on, when asked why Nathan had stabbed Becky 15 times after death, he claims that he did it later on to drain her of her blood. Oh. As you can guess, this trial was beyond difficult for Becky's family to go through. In the end, Nathan Matthews was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Becky. But he will be eligible eligible for parole after 33 years. So when he's in his 60s, he can be a free man. Lovely. Shauna Hoare was sentenced to 17 years in prison for manslaughter. Both were convicted of conspiracy to kidnap, perverting the course of justice, preventing lawful burial, and possessing two stun guns. Angie and Darren tried several times during the eight-week trial to make eye contact with their son, but he never once even looked over in their direction, even when escorted out at the end of the trial out of the courtroom because he's a coward. Yeah. He also had never shown or never to my knowledge has even still to this day shown any kind of remorse to anyone, especially his own mom and stepdad. That's crazy. 
Speaking of Darren and Angie, many have speculated as to how in the world they remained at each other's side during this horrific ordeal. I know, I wondered what effect this must have had on the relationship, right? But they have remained committed to one another, and Darren has repeatedly stated that his love for Angie is immense and how nothing could separate them. They were meant to be together, he says. They both essentially lost a daughter and a son. They did. They're both going through this. And they're, in a sense, they're the only ones who know what the other is going through. You know, I see that. No one else could ever begin to imagine. In support of the family, a balloon launch in Becky's honor was organized to show them how she would never be forgotten in the community. And Darren has repeatedly expressed how overwhelmed he has been at the support of the community in Bristol. And in an odd twist of fate, Patrick, on Darren's birthday, his stepson Nathan was attacked in prison by a fellow inmate with a jug of boiling butter. Okay. (laughs) He was rushed to the hospital to be treated for burns. He did survive, but he was badly injured. Darren later said that it was the best birthday present he could have ever received. I would imagine. And in 2017, now 22-year-old Shauna Hoare was also attacked by fellow inmates. So badly that she had to be resuscitated twice. Damn. Yeah. So it's good to know Nathan and Shauna are making friends in prison. <laughs> yeah, good for them. Couldn't happen to nicer people, right? And that's my shocking and horrifying story of Becky Watts in a nutshell. And please, if you feel so inclined, go and read The Evil Within by Darren Galsworthy, Becky's dad. It's beautifully written and such a wonderful, honest tribute to his daughter and his family. And it's free on Kindle right now, here in the U.S. at least. Okay. So definitely 10 out of 10 recommend. Great book. He seems like a great guy. Yeah. He's, I mean, he he very honestly and authentically accounts for all of his emotions throughout, you know, the disappearance search, everything he's going through. He does a wonderful job explaining it. I don't know how he wrote that book. It was probably therapeutic for him say, to write that book. therapeutic for him to do that, to talk about it. That's how he talked about his feelings. Yeah. But, Patrick, I definitely recommend that you go and listen to interviews, uh, police interviews with Shauna and Nathan. Okay. It's just so, you just want to reach through the screen and choke them. Yeah, I bet. They're horrible people. Yeah, they're not good people, that's for sure. No, definitely not good people. Did you see that coming? That no. it was her stepbrother? Uh, um, Maybe a little towards the end. No, I mean, I always wonder, I'm like, you always wonder in the beginning of these stories, like, watch, it's the stepbrother that's weird or something like that. And then it yeah. turns out to be, you know what I mean? Because these these stories always just have those crazy. I honestly believe that if he hadn't been arrested, that he would have been a pedophile, some child pedophile. Probably. And she would have helped him. Probably. Some serial killer pedophile. I bet you anything, that's how it would have turned out. It has that feeling, like, that's definitely how it could have just evolved. How did it go so wrong? They were both raised by the same people. You know what I mean? And to turn out so she's just, Becky was just amazing. And he's just, a screw was loose somewhere. Well, it always goes back to what we always talk about, nature versus nurture. Were they born evil or were they made evil? In this case, he probably was just born evil. Yeah. There's nothing that we've seen that you said anything about that would, you know, he didn't have one of those childhoods. We're not seeing, you know, cases of brain injuries. Not that I know of. A bad dude. I saw he was in a motorcycle accident, but it didn't say that he was injured, you know? But he just seems like one of those people that was just born bad. Yeah. Just something wrong with him from the start, and it just eventually comes out. He never liked Becky from the start, ever. He was a single child that, you know, it was just him and his mom, and then all of a sudden, 
her attentions on everybody else. Yeah, he hated that. And the little girl's going to get the most because one, she's the baby. Two, she's the girl. Exactly. Exactly. It's And he was a father towards the end, too. How could he? Jeez. Oh, That's crazier. Just horrible. Anyways, it was a shorter one today. But Definitely. A crazy one, though. Crazy one. A little mini sewed for us. Well, mini, what the book? <laughs> but um, we will see you guys back here a week after next with another story. Yay. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Be good to each other. Bye.